get some light up here. All right. Philippians chapter 2, we're preaching our way through this book, and Pastor Mike was talking about the Apostle Paul making that statement about being the chief of sinners while an interesting thought to think that he wouldn't have been allowed to say that and it become part of scripture if it wasn't true. God could take the worst of sinners who was persecuting the church and murdering Christians and turn them into the greatest apostle that ever lived. If he could do that with him, he could do amazing things with you and I, man. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, Paul is uh, in chains here. He's going around being paraded in front of the leaders of the Roman world, and he's maintaining this attitude of joy, and he's writing an epistle of joy. And we pick up in verse 5 of chapter 2, and I'm going to read 5 through 11, but just let's thank God for the word this morning. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for this treasure you've given us in Scripture, Lord, a blueprint for living. And so, Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, the word would come alive to us and that it would find good ground in our hearts and that, Father, would go forth in the power and demonstration of your spirit this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that when you put your word in us, it stays with us forever and we're never the same. And we look forward to that in Jesus' name, amen. Realize when God tucks the word into your heart and it finds good soil and it's mixed with faith, it becomes part of you forever. You know, sometimes when we hear a scripture, now we're accountable for it, and it's part of us. And, and some people say, well, that's why I don't come to church often, because it's dangerous. Because <laughs> when we are aware of Scripture, we're held accountable to it. And so, Holy Spirit, tuck the good gems and principles into our heart this morning, and let it, let it never leave us. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and, all, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Powerful words from Paul here, written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not the words of Paul, but the words of God. And these verses come alive to us and they challenge us as this man of God is in bondage, lost his liberty, but yet overflowing with joy. He's giving us sound theology and sound counsel from the heart of the Father. And we start with verse 5. He says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Say attitude. attitude. Say it with an attitude. attitude. Ooh, that was good. Second service got an attitude this morning. Everything living has an attitude. Someone say amen. I know you're thinking about it for a second, but everything living, everything created has an attitude. Every living thing does. Some attitudes are obvious. Did you ever meet someone with an obvious attitude? 
usually they're cocky or they're prideful or they're self-assured and they're positive they're better than you and they're anxious to show you how. Come on, people with attitudes, you know, you meet them at work, you meet them at your neighborhood, you, you meet them in, in the world. And some people, they have this attitude, it's right up front, you can tell what it is and you don't even have to think about it. Some people's attitudes are obvious, but some people's attitudes are subtle. Do you ever meet someone that you have to, you got to let them talk, you got to let them, you know, give them time to get comfortable, and then all of a sudden the attitude will come out. It's subtle. It's not up front. It's not easily discerned. Sometimes it's passive aggressive. Sometimes they'll say stuff and later on you'll think, hey, you're like, that looks good on you. I mean, I wouldn't wear it, but it looks good on you. Or nice shirt that they sell men's clothes where you bought that. You ever have someone say something to you and later on you're like, you're, at first you're like, Some attitudes are obvious, some are not obvious, some are subtle. Some attitudes take the right circumstances to come out. Have you ever known somebody, you've been with them a while, and all of a sudden a certain set of circumstances come out, and they come unglued, and all of a sudden there's this attitude you've never seen before. You know, it's like most of us can keep it together, but when there's pressure or there's crisis or, you know, there's something that really upsets us, sometimes an attitude comes out that we've kept hidden for a while. But the truth is, all of us have an attitude. And, you know, when I was a young man, my second job, I would think I was 16 years old. I worked at a kennel, and I'm telling you what, we had so many dogs, and we had so many cats, and I had just gotten saved, so I preached to all the dogs, and all the dogs got saved. <laughs> but, but we had a cat barn. We had a barn full of cats. And when, when it would swell up in the summertime, sometimes we'd have 70, 80 cats in one barn. And talk about attitudes. You know, even our pets have attitudes. I remember going in the cat barn. It was a little scary. You'd say a quick prayer before you walked in. Because, you know, you'd have one cat, no matter what, you walk by. One cat would stand on its back legs like this and come at you. That thing's possessed, kid. You ever meet a cat like that? And then you'd have the next cat, you go to the next door. You know, just, that's a cool cat. But I've never seen such attitudes in animals. Because everything God created has an attitude, has a disposition, has a demeanor. We see it in our pets. We see it in our friends and our family. We see it everywhere because it's how God made us. Now, understand something that... Our attitude in life is vital, especially as believers. If we're going to find purpose and fulfillment in life, we need the right attitude. The revered English architecture, architectural genius Sir Christopher Wren was supervising the construction of a magnificent cathedral in London. A journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers, and so he chose three, and he asked this question, what is your role in this project? The first said, I put 10 hours of hard labor every day on this job. And the next one said, I cut stone for 10 shillings a day. But the third one answered the question like this, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. Which one do you think had an attitude that would give them purpose and fulfillment. One saw it just as a job. I'm putting in the hours, I'm getting the paycheck. One saw it as, well, I'm using my skills, I'm cutting stone, but that's all I do. The other one saw it as his purpose and his fulfillment was in helping this man create a beautiful cathedral. Attitude is everything. 
We've all got an attitude, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. But right here in Scripture, it says to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the truth is, our collection of attitudes, our thoughts and ideas on various subjects, will, we'll, if you put all those together, that gives us a worldview. Say worldview. Our worldview is a collection of attitudes. Now, as servants of God, we have to really pay attention to our attitudes, the way we feel about various topics and issues. You know, it's important the way we feel about serving Jesus and the way we feel about preaching the gospel and the way we feel about the nations of the world and the nation of Israel. All these things are important for a Christian worldview. And sadly, we have churches full of people who have opinions and preferences and attitudes, but they're not necessarily biblical, and they don't formulate a worldly God view. Now, I could spend a lot of time here. I'm not, but understand what we think about certain things matters. Now, all of us have uh, non-biblical attitudes. You know, we have to examine it. Is my attitude godly? Is it biblical? Or is it ungodly? Is it worldly? The truth is, all of us have non-biblical, worldly attitudes at times, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because they come from our culture, they come from our traditions, and they come from our life experiences. And we get these attitudes from our life experience, from the culture we were raised in, from the traditions we keep, from the very fact that we're Americans and we're Westerners. All of that shapes our worldview, shapes our attitudes, our, our feelings about things. And as believers, we have to understand our non-biblical attitudes are a danger, a very real danger to our spiritual health and growth because they have the very real ability to cancel out God's power and the power of God's word in our life. Some people will keep their, their experiences, their traditions, and their cultural preferences over the word of God. And Jesus actually called out the religious leaders of the day for doing exactly this. He said in Matthew 15, 5 through 8, But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would have helped you, I have given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So what the religious crowd would do would say, instead of taking care of their parents and providing for them, they would say, well, I gave that money to the church to excuse themselves. And Jesus is calling them out on it. He's saying, no, you, 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 that's your tradition. You know, you can't, the word of God says to honor your father and mother. Don't make it a loophole or an excuse for yourself. He said, when you do that, look what, you're invalidating the word of God. There are people who say, I'm a Christian, but I, I do my worldly thing instead of the biblical thing because it's my tradition. And Jesus very gently and tenderly corrects them. You hypocrites! <laughs> Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, we have to be very careful with our attitudes and our opinions in our traditions, that they don't cancel out what we know the Word of God says to do. Because if we do, we're in danger of being hypocrites. You know, it's very possible to come to church and to give lip service and say the right things and say amen at the right time and sing the words right to the song, even in key. But for our hearts to be far from God, God would rather have our hearts close to Him. 
He would rather have our biblical worldview replace our preferences and opinions. And it starts with having an attitude. And it says here, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, that's telling us that Jesus actually modeled the attitude that we're supposed to have. That's good news today, man. I don't know about you, but I'm a visual learner. If I can see something done, I can replicate it. I can begin to do it. I can learn it. So you say, well, what's the point of that? The point is Jesus was a model for us. He was a visual for us. The way he, the way he lived, the way he poured himself out, the way he loved people, the way he, he went to the cross willingly. If you want to know how to have a good attitude, follow Jesus to the cross. Every step will teach us how to have the right attitude. A model for us. Have this attitude in you, which was also in. Notice it's, it, have this attitude in you. It's not an external thing. It's not lip service. It's an internal thing. The attitude has to permeate our heart. Why? Because otherwise we can give lip service, but our heart's still far from God. So have the attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 clues us into what Jesus' attitude consisted of, who as he already existed, listen, preexistent, eternal, begotten, uh, not created, he's with the Father. He, He already existed in the form of God. Jesus, before he came to earth, was part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equally God. He was the Son, begotten, not made. Understand, look what it says here, who already existed in the form of God. Now listen, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know, there are many cults and world religions that teach, well, Jesus wasn't God. He was just a prophet. He was just a wise man. He was just a X, Y, and Z, you fill in the lie. But understand, he was fully God. And the fact that <coughs> he wasn't God Jr., he wasn't earning his way up to being God, he was God. But he didn't consider the fact that he was God something to be grasped. So, you know, I want you to see that's the linchpin of his attitude here. It clues us into what his attitude consisted of. And in a nutshell, it was humility. Jesus was humble enough, though he was God, to condescend himself to come down and take on sinful human flesh to deal with our problem. It was an attitude of humility without a hint of pride or self-promotion. It's quiet now. Pride, it's got to go. Self-promotion, that has no, no part in the believer's life. Have you ever been around somebody that are constantly trying to puff themselves up and build themselves up and prove to you how great they are and how much better they are than you? Self-promotion, it's ugly, it's pride, it's ego-driven. Jesus had none of it. If Jesus could have asserted himself over everyone, I mean, if there was anyone who could, it would be Jesus. Yeah, he says, come to me, you know, if you're weary, I'm humble, my yoke is easy. Wow. I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm gracious. His attitude was all about humility. There was no pride. There was no self-promotion. Instead of puffing himself up and maximizing his assets uh, and taking advantage of others, he came to serve, not be served. Jesus totally and completely let go of every advantage, every right, every attribute he had to do the Father's will on our behalf. And that's the attitude that Jesus is looking to reproduce in those who follow him. Look at all the things the ungodly grasp at to assert themselves over others. 
You know, if you, you work in the world, you, you, you've been around unsaved people, you know, people are always trying to one-up each other. Am I telling the truth? <clears throat> you know, you got those people who they just, they want to come across as better. They want to puff themselves up. And they use whatever advantages they have. You know, they use their position or they use money. Well, I, I make more money than you. I have a higher position. You're an underling to me. People in the world will use their intelligence. You know, this world, this world makes an idol out of intelligence. Oh, I'm so much smarter. I have more degrees than you. You see this in the pecking order in places. Well, I have a master's degree. I have this degree. I have, and you know, it's amazing. A degree is really just a piece of paper. I've known so many people with degrees that didn't have kindness, didn't have love, didn't have wisdom. Come on. Now our, our, our intellectual idolatry is collapsing. Why? Because we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to send our young people to school, and they're coming out with degrees but no skills and no job opportunities. Mm, God help us. Now, I'm not coming against degrees or intelligence or education. Pastor's not saying, go home and be a dummy and Jesus will be happy. No, that's all good, but we don't use that to lord over others. And we've all seen that. Jesus never took any of these things and used them as an advantage over other people. He never puffed himself up, and that's the attitude he had. It was a humble attitude, and it's one that we need to have. Uh, the ungodly will use money and position and intelligence, age and influence, all to leverage things to their advantage. I, I remember well, we were talking in first service, Pastor Mike, that as preachers, you, you come out of Bible school and you're, you're ready to you know, do your thing and everybody will tell you, you're too young. Sit down, young man. Be quiet. You're too young. You're the young man. Be quiet. Then all of a sudden you get to a point where you're a little bit older and then like the youth look at you and go, you're too old. We don't want to listen to you. So you're either too young or you're too old. There's a sweet spot in the middle someplace. I missed it. I don't know what happened. But it's like people want to use age. Sit down. You're too young. Sit down. You're too old. You're irrelevant at this point. God help us. Now understand the world does things like that. They use their advantages over one another to, you know, assert themselves over each other. But Jesus never did that. Jesus showed us that good leadership is servant leadership. That we come to serve. Jesus came uh, being fully God and fully man. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Not his own interests, but to do the Father's will uh, for our interests. Good leadership is servant leadership. Self-righteous, manipulative, spiritual bullies will never have a positive, lasting impact on the lives of others. You and I are called to be humble. If we'll be humble and serve, we'll be effective. If we have a humble servant attitude in us, we'll be like Jesus. And in the end, we'll affect and impact more people than the spiritual bullies ever will. So verses 7 through 8 give us six incredible components of the attitude Jesus had in him and modeled for us. So I'm going to go through these pretty quickly for you here. But as we see verse 7 and 8, uh, you're going to see these, these components in there. And I'm going to just read those two verses and then I'm going to go through them. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's the humility. 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So within those two verses, there are, you know, these six components of Jesus's attitude. And the first one is that he emptied himself. Think about that. The God who created all things, everything seen and unseen, the heavens and the earth, who, who created us out of the dust and blew the breath of life into us, emptied himself. I mean, I could sit at my desk for hours and just think about that and really not get anywhere. How does the creator of all things empty himself? Yet it's a beautiful picture of humility. How do you go from knowing everything, being a, a, a member of the triune Godhead and, in chi- and achieving what's described in Luke 2, 51 and 52? Listen to this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Talking about Jesus being subjected to his parents. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Did you hear what I just read? Jesus increased to God, who who knew everything, who was all things, who was the God of creation. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. What's that all about? That's all about Jesus coming and humbling himself pouring himself out and taking on the flesh. Now, as he, 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 he's in the flesh and he's fully human, he has to tame that flesh and he has to break that flesh down and literally he's going to have to crucify it to the point where he starts. He comes as a little baby, but look about this. He, he's in subjection. He submits himself to his mother and his father. Jesus listened to his mother. You know, and there are times where she'd say, oh, you need to make this wine and water and stuff. And he'd be like, woman. Right? But he was respectful. He loved her. Even on the cross, he took care of her. He said to John, behold your mother. Mom, behold your son. He took care of his mother. While he's dying for the sins of the world, he's still subjected to his mother. He listened to his father. He worked in Joseph's carpentry shop. Jesus was a carpenter. You know this? He didn't just float around and play, the, you know, the harp and do Jesus things. No, he worked as a young man, right? So here he is working in Joseph's shop, and you know, if his dad, his dad probably had stuff to say to him, like, Jesus, are those chairs done yet? You know, hurry up. We got the customers are, call, you know, the, Jesus, this table's a little out of square, and it wobbles a little bit, and Jesus is going, I made the tree, Dad. You know, you better just. I'll. Could you imagine? Yet yeah, he submitted himself. He must have looked at his parents sometime and be like, hmm. Like, what kid if they were, I don't have to listen to you. But he emptied himself. He accepted the weakness of the flesh and he poured himself out and he grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and men. What a beautiful thing. Number two, he took on the form of a bondservant. Here's the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Uh, he, he sets aside all his majesty and all his dominion, and he comes down and he takes the form of a bondservant, literally a slave. He, he does the will of another. While he's in the, the flesh, he does the will of the Father to the point where he won't ever even do his own will. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's amazing. With that, that's a servant's heart. Jesus was like this bondservant that did the will of another but didn't do his own will. And what, what a beautiful, humble expression that is. He did the Father's will and he served our interests. 
Jesus came to serve our interests. Jesus didn't get bored in heaven and go, you know what, I'm going to take a road trip and, you know, I'm going to do some stuff down there and I'll, I'll do some miracles and I'll wow them all and I'll, I'll get a promotion. And no, he didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to leave his father's side. It was excruciating for him to be separated from his father. That's why he would run into the wilderness to get alone with God, to commune with him, to push through the static of the flesh and get a spirit-to-spirit connection with the father. That's why on the cross he cried out, Father, why do you forsake me? The pain of it being separated. So he came not to serve his interests, but our interests. He emptied himself took the form of a bondservant. Number three, he was made in the likeness of men. Now, it's hard for us to understand, but Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's hard for us to understand the duplicity of that. But we see it in the way he was born. He didn't come as a conquering king in all his majesty with legions of angels. He came as a tender, vulnerable baby. Think about that. I mean, there's the visual. See him there in the manger? As a baby. What is that? In the likeness of men. He wasn't, you know, Casper the friendly ghost. He wasn't floating around glowing. He was, people looked at him and he he was a baby. He was a man wrapped in, you know, the flesh, susceptible to sin. Number four, he was found in the appearance as a man. Now, We know he was fully God. He was fully man. He was made in the likeness of man. He was a baby. He was a teenager. He grew up in in his 30s. He started his ministry public and all of these things just like a man. But this brings out the fact that he was found in the appearance of a man. And I want you to understand what, what it means there is he was a regular, nondescript person. Nobody would walk by him and go, whoa, who's that guy? He's tall. He's handsome. He's glowing. He's got charisma. No, he was just an ordinary man. That's how he chose to come. In fact, Isaiah 53, 2 describes him. It says he grew up before him a tender shoot. So he wasn't proud and he wasn't charismatic. He was just humble, tender, vulnerable shoot. Like the shoot out of the dry ground, he had no stately form or majesty that we would look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. What that's saying is Isaiah saying he was just a common, ordinary-looking man. Now, think about it. If you were coming to earth and you got to choose how you showed up, come on, let your imagination run wild a little bit. Yeah, I want to be, you know, short and squat and I want to have, you know, three chins and look like a thumb. No! If you got to pick the way you looked, right? I'd be like, I want Schwarzenegger's body. I want Brad Pitt's face and Tom Selleck's mustache. I want that. I'll be picking out stuff, right? Jesus says, no, I don't want any of that. I'm just going to come like an ordinary person. Like, you wouldn't even notice anything different. A nondescript man. People, that's humility. For him to humble himself to that point where he's not even physically charismatic or attractive. Hmm, We just don't understand the depth of his majesty. If we would, we would understand the depth of his humility in this point here. Verse 5 just plainly says he humbled himself. Yeah, that's what this is all about, emptying yourself, being a a servant, coming in the likeness of man, being in the appearance of a, a man, just nondescript. He humbled himself. True humility is displayed when we forsake all of our power and all of our advantages, and Jesus did this. 
You know, it's not humility when we, you know, forsake things that we don't have. If we don't have power, if we don't have money, if we don't have all these things, we can't just say, well, I'm going to humble myself. We're already humble. Amen? You're not a household name. You're not like a top-level influencer. You're not a movie star. No, we're just nondescript people. Well, I really humbled myself. No, you're just pretty ordinary. We, we, our ego, it just gets crazy sometimes. You know, Jesus really forsook all of these things. And he had them in ways that no one ever did, yet he humbled himself. And number six, the last component of Jesus' attitude was he became obedient to death. Obedience is so important as children of God. God is not looking for perfection. He's not looking for performance. He's looking for obedience. If we're available to do what he asks us to do, and we do it the best we can with all our mind, will you know, if we put everything into it, look, that's what God is looking for. And no matter what your station is in the kingdom of God, if you do what you're called to do, whether you clean bathrooms for Jesus or you're a doorkeeper in the house of God or, or whatever you do, listen, if you do what God's called you to do with all your heart, in the end, you're going to win. It's obedience. And our obedience brings a reward. Now, true obedience was displayed as Jesus did something he really shouldn't have had to do. He died a sinner's death on a cross. The Romans used the cross as the most shameful public spectacle to punish the worst of sinners, the dregs of society, the worst of criminals were, were killed via crucifixion. And Jesus says, my humility is so intense, that's the death that I want to embrace. I want to die a sinner's death that they use for the worst of sinners. Why? Because I'm willing to become sin for all of us. See, that, that's what that's all about. Jesus taking on the sins of the world, becoming a vicarious substitutionary sacrifice, dying in place of us. He says, I'll, I'll be that and I'll die the worst of death because I'll be obedient to my Father's will. What an attitude. You say, well, those are six pretty powerful things. How can we do them? We can't. But the Holy Spirit can work in us, amen. And God, with God, nothing is impossible. We can live lives of humility that glorify God and bring glory to God and bring sinners to Christ, amen. But it starts with wanting to have the attitude that Jesus had and understanding these six components of his attitude emptying ourselves, being servant-minded, being, you know, just human and nondescript and not uh, lifting ourselves up, humbling ourselves and being obedient to the Father's will. There it is in a nutshell if we want the attitude that Jesus had. Now, verse 9 uh, shows that Jesus reaps a reward for his obedience, and it's not that he came to do that. It's just that the Father bestowed that upon him in his goodness and his grace. It says, for this reason also... God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Let's check out what that's about there. Verse 9 shows that Jesus is going to be exalted. Now, understand something. Jesus was obedient, he was humble, and when he humbled himself and became obedient, the Father exalted him. Now, I want, you to, I want you to understand that's the way we're exalted. All of us want to be honored. All of us want to be loved and celebrated. The way we do it is to humble ourselves and be obedient to God. 
If we'll do that, God will lift us up. God will exalt us. He did it with Jesus. He'll do it with us. Now, understand something. This is exactly the opposite of how the world works. The flesh of man wants to be exalted, wants to be worshipped when it's in a fully inflamed state of pride. And I'll show you how this works. You see an athlete or a, a Hollywood star or, you know, a, a famous person or, or a really wealthy person. The world says, well, you know, you can inflame your pride. You can puff yourself up and we'll take note of you. We'll put you on a pedestal and we'll worship you. The world never says, well, if you humble yourself, we'll, you know, we'll be your fan. We'll be your follower. No, it says, show us why you're awesome. Show us why you're the best. Show us why you're better than everybody else. And we'll worship you in a fully inflamed state of pride. In the kingdom of God, it is the exact opposite. For the Christian, there is zero chance of God exalting us until we are humble. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Do you see it? It's not, well, I'm better. I'm more, I'm more intelligent. I'm more athletic. I'm, I'm, you, you can worship me. You can make an idol out of me, world. And God says, no, humble yourself. Pour yourself out. Forget about what you're good at, your assets, your achievements, and be a servant. Wow. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Jesus did that. And the father exalted him, lifted him up. He gives him the name above every name. I mean, it's just such a beautiful thing at the name of Jesus. There's such power and majesty in the name of Jesus. It's because of his humility. It's because of his obedience. It's because the Lord has glorified him and lifted him up. Verse 10 says, every knee shall bow. That, that's, that's speaking of universal reverence and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Listen, every knee shall bow. Uh, wh what does that mean? That means every single soul that God ever created, when we stand before God, we will bow to the name of Jesus. Every living soul. Now understand this. There's a world out there that says, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't want your Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I can do what I want. And you know what? I, I'm not bowing the knee to Jesus. I've witnessed to people before that looked me right in the eye and said, I, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just not buying it. I, I, I'm, I would rather burn in hell than come to Jesus. Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, that's, that startled me. This is someone I love. And, you know, they're like, they're just like, I don't, want, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. And understand you can do what you want in this life for a time. And people can say, well, you know, you can't make me and I won't do it and, and I'll never. But listen, I can do what I want. Not forever you won't. Not forever you won't. There'll be no resisting the lordship and the majesty of Jesus Christ on the day of judgment. There'll be nobody standing before the throne of God shaking their fist saying, I I'm not going to bow. Without even... They will bow reflexively when they see just a hint of the majesty of God. They, they will not be able to resist it. Every knee shall bow. Universal submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was humble, because he was obedient, and God lifted him up. And because God lifted him up, every knee will bow to his glory. Look what it says on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The angels in heaven will bow to Jesus. 
All the saved saints in heaven will bow to Jesus. The Old Testament patriarchs will bow to Jesus. You and I will bow before Jesus and throw our crowns at his feet and worship him for eternity. Everyone in heaven, everyone on earth. Well, what about this group of people? What about this religion? What about them atheists? Listen, everyone will bow. And it even says under the earth. Most scholars agree from hints in scripture that hell is contained in the core of the earth and that where the souls that are damned and die without Christ go is into the center of the earth where they're held in Hades until they're called up for the judgment. Everyone in heaven, on earth, and in the earth. People in hell are going to bow to the name of Jesus. When in their lifetime they, they refused to and they died without Christ and they resisted God. Listen, God does not send anyone to hell. We send ourselves to hell when we reject Jesus Christ. God does not send anyone. Jesus is not willing that any should perish. He died for the sins of the world that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It's for everyone this morning. If I wind up in hell, it's my fault because I rejected God. There'll be no one in hell saying, well, you know, this is unfair. I don't know. They'll know for eternity. I rejected the free gift of salvation. What a sentence to bear. I don't want anyone to go to hell. You and I need to preach the gospel with passion to whosoever will listen and to be persistent because the stakes could not be higher. There have only ever been two choices for everyone created, everyone that draws breath. Bow now or bow later, but we're all going to bow. Verse 11 finishes up this section of Scripture here in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now I, want you to, I want you to get this picture in the theater of your mind. Not only are people going to bow down to Jesus that didn't believe in him, that rejected him, that didn't want anything to do with him, with their own lips and their own mouth, they're going to confess in their own voice that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's powerful this morning. There's going to be no holdouts. Well, I'm just not doing it. Oh, yes, you will. I can do what I want. Not forever, you won't. At the throne of Almighty God, the resurrected Christ in all his splendor and majesty and glory, the radiating beauty of his presence will cause people to drop to their knees. People who believed and people who didn't believe and all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every atheist, every agnostic, every mocker, every blasphemer, every cult member, Satan worshiper, false teacher, false prophet, every rebellious, immoral person who revels in sin will bow the knee to Jesus Christ and confess he's Lord. Now, I don't know about you today, but that's a sobering thought. And I close this section of scripture down in Philippians 2 with this. I encourage you, bow now. Confess now, because he is Lord, he is creator, he's Messiah, and he's ready to save. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I pray this morning that each of us have come to you and acknowledged who your son Jesus is, because you have made it plain and clear. You've exalted him. You've given him the name above every name. And Father, we want to bow now rather than later. We want to confess now rather than later. We want to be right with you now and not slip into eternity 
facing judgment when we could have had the free gift of salvation. You say, well, how is it that we, we do receive this gift? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart. It's a decision of the will. Listen, we don't have to be good enough. We don't have to be uh, theologically astute enough. We don't have to know all these Bible verses. We just have to know that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And to recognize only one Savior ever came and died in our place. And he did not stay in the grave. He rose again as a prototype of resurrection life that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. If you're here today and you want to acknowledge Jesus, you want to make him the Lord of your life, I want to give you that opportunity in a minute. But what it'll do is it'll change the trajectory of your eternity. Your, your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be a child of God, and you'll be on your way to heaven. God will keep you. God will fill you with the Spirit. God will forgive you of all your sins. You say, that's awesome. How do I get that? It's a gift of grace. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't put it on layaway and make installment payments. We just have to accept Jesus and confess him. If you're here today and you want a clean slate and a fresh start, I want you to simply raise your hand. How many people would like to confess Jesus as Lord today? If you need to do that, don't be shy. He hung on a cross naked for you and died in your place because he loves you this morning. How many people would like to do that this morning? I'm trusting everyone in here is saved. I, don't, I can't see if there's any hands going up, but let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner, and I recognize you the Savior. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin, and I ask you to forgive me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Teach me to live a different life. From this moment forward, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family of God. Come on.